Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys doing good this morning? You're looking good. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Vision. I'm pumped to be here with you for week two of our Build the Future series where we're talking about the next chapter in the revision story. And we kicked things off last week by talking about how we read stories and watch stories and tell stories, but most importantly, we live stories. All of us live a story. That's not really optional, but living a great story, one that matters and makes a difference in the lives of the people around us is optional. We have to choose it, but there's a catch. It's usually not easy. Living a great story almost always requires courage and passion and grit and self-sacrifice. It costs us something, but it changes the world when we pay that cost. In 1952, a British runner named Roger Bannister finished a disappointing fourth place in the 1500 meters at the Helsinki Olympics. It was a legendary race where the top four runners all crossed the finish line within one second of each other. And Bannister was so disappointed, he considered quitting competitive running altogether, but then he found himself gripped by a vision to become the first person in human history to run the mile in under four minutes. And there are a lot of people who thought it couldn't be done. They told him he was crazy. They believed that four-minute mile was the absolute limit of human capability, and they criticized his unorthodox training methods. They told him he should just give up and quit. There were even doctors who thought the human heart couldn't handle running a mile in under four minutes, but those doctors had never measured the heart of Roger Bannister. And on May 6, 1954, Bannister and five other men lined up at Ifley Road Track in Oxford to run the mile, and Bannister ran second for most of the race until half a lap left when he began his finishing kick and he crossed the line in first place and the stadium breathlessly awaited the announcement of the results. And as the voice came over the loudspeaker that he had won with a time of 359.4, the crowd erupted. It was so loud that after the first word was three rather than four, no one heard the rest of it, but it didn't matter. The four minute barrier had been broken for the first time in history. But here's the craziest thing about Bannister's story, the most amazing part. It isn't that he set a goal a lot of people thought couldn't be accomplished and then went out and achieved it. It's what he did for others. See, before Roger Bannister ran a mile in under four minutes, nobody had done it in the history of the world. But in the year after he did it, that barrier was broken 37 more times. In fact, though his record is the most famous in the history of the mile, it's also the shortest held. He was the world record holder for less than 50 days. And somebody asked him eventually how so many people would be able to run that quickly so shortly after he did it. And Bannister replied, it was never a physical barrier, only a mental one. Like Sir Roger Bannister lived an epic story because he caught a vision of what could be and he didn't let anyone discourage him from pursuing it at all costs. But the most epic part of his story, the greatest part, is the way he changed the game for all of the people around him. Bannister always cherished that over setting the record as his most significant accomplishment. Because I think we're in a season where we have a chance to do something similar. 
not run a mile in under four minutes. That ship sailed a long, long, long time ago for me. Maybe some of you youngsters can do it. But to step into a season of grit and passion and determination and self-sacrifice that ultimately makes a significant difference in the lives of the people around us. That's what Build the Future is all about. And if you're here for the very first time or you're, you're watching online for the very first time right now, I gotta let you know this Sunday and this month is a little bit different than normal here at Revision. It's really geared toward those of us who call Revision home. But I'm actually super excited that you're here anyway, because you're going to learn where this church is going and what it is we care about most. And I think you're going to get, hopefully, a bigger, better vision of the mission God wants to see accomplished in the world. But for those of us who, who do call Revision home, if you didn't get the chance to watch the message last week, please hop online and do that. It's a must-watch message as soon as possible because it sets the stage for this whole new chapter. But here's a quick recap. We are growing at an incredible rate as a church in a season where churches growing is just not a normal thing at all. God is moving in amazing ways. We've seen over 40 people commit their lives and futures to Jesus in the last year, nine more so far this fall. We've baptized 25 in the last year, like great, incredible things are happening and it's beautiful, but it also presents us with a challenge. And that challenge is we are not gonna have much space in this gym for very much longer. I said it last week, I'll say it again. We cannot magically make this gym bigger. We cannot even magically make it not smell funky sometimes. We spent hundreds of dollars on odor-eating gel. It just doesn't work. And that's a, that's a whole different problem. But we're quickly approaching a season in a year or two years where we just don't have room anymore to welcome other people in. And the day that somebody shows up and they can't feel welcome here, the day that somebody shows up who isn't yet a part of us and they can't crash into Jesus and be invited to become a part of us, is the day the vision that has driven this church from the very beginning starts to shrivel up and die. And so we're going to do something about it. We're taking a giant leap of faith, just like we took a giant leap of faith when we started this thing seven years ago. And we're going to raise the funds necessary to get a permanent home for revision. And that's not because we want a fancier, cooler space. A building is nothing more than a tool that equips us to do the things God has asked us as a church to do. That's all a building is. That's why we haven't spent the last seven years just like waiting for a building, like, oh, someday we'll have a building, we'll be a real church or a good church or something like that. This church is more amazing than I could have possibly dared to dream seven years ago, and we are well beyond good. But in order to keep chasing our mission, keep helping people meet Jesus and follow him fully, keep doing the things God has prepared in advance for us to do, the things he stamped the name revision on, we're gonna need a different space to keep doing what we've been doing for the last seven years, to maximize our ability to chase our mission. Something that does not yet exist needs to become a reality. And in many ways, that's similar to the situation this guy named Nehemiah found himself in. Over the course of this Build the Future series, we're kind of tracking along with Nehemiah's story because there's some things we can learn from it about who God is and how God invites us into significant moments, how he invites us to step towards self-sacrifice in a way that makes a difference for the people around us. And again, another recap for those of you who weren't here last week or those of you who were here and were dozing off. It's dark, but I can see, all right? I know. It's all right, though. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I just tell myself it's because of the glare off my head. They're not sleeping. They're not sleeping. But 
Anyway, Nehemiah was this guy who lived during a period of time called the exile. The Jewish people had been conquered and carried thousands of miles away from Jerusalem across an entire empire. And he found himself working as a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes of the Assyrian Empire. And as a cupbearer, basically every time the king wanted a drink, he had to take a sip first to see if it was poison. And then they'd watch to see if Nehemiah died. And if he lived, they'd give the king a, a, a drink. It was a killer job. It's a bad pastor joke right there, you guys. But anyways, Nehemiah, he got this bad news that even though some of the exiles had been allowed to return home over a hundred years earlier, the walls of Jerusalem hadn't been rebuilt. They had been piles of rubble for 140 years, which meant that God's people were vulnerable to being exploited and attacked. And it meant that God's temple was a shell of what it was intended to be. Like God's dream was that the temple would be the space where people could crash into his presence and then go out and light up their their world, but because the walls were down, Jerusalem was in peril. And so Nehemiah cried over the situation and then he began to pray about it. And God eventually invited him to do something that changed the game, even though he was just an ordinary dude. He wasn't a leader with any sort of important position, and he certainly wasn't a civil engineer with any idea how to build a wall, other than like you put the rocks on the other rocks until it's tall. That's all he knew. He was just a guy, but it turns out Nehemiah was the guy willing to let God break his heart for something that broke God's heart. It's crazy, you guys, because I think so often in life we get caught up believing that great things can only be done by great people, that great stories can only be lived by people with great skills. But if Nehemiah's life teaches us anything, it's that To build the future God wants for the world, you don't have to be the best. You just have to care the most. I cannot imagine a situation where Revision Church is going to be the best at anything. Like As long as I'm the lead pastor, there's no single thing we try to do that somebody isn't going to be better at. But what if we cared the most? What if we cared the most about each other and about our city and about the stuff God cares about? That was Nehemiah's situation. And in chapter two, we read what he did about it. We read a little bit of this last week. We're gonna dive a little bit deeper this week. If you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to Nehemiah chapter two. It's toward the beginning, right between Ezra and Esther. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen or in the revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, we got them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different age groups back at the next steps table. They're free. We love it when they disappear. Please take one before you go. This is what it says in in Nehemiah chapter two. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph? keeper of the royal park, so that he'll give me timber to make the beams of the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. 
And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And fast forward a little bit to verse 17. He says, then I said to the people of Jerusalem, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. So Nehemiah took on this project that nobody had been able to complete for 140 years. Again, not because he was the best, but because he cared the most. And I think there are a few things in his story as we step toward building the future God has for us that are particularly helpful. Namely that he came to this problem God broke his heart for with a clear what, a careful how, and a compelling why. He laid out what he was gonna do very clearly. He carefully planned every step of the journey. And then he inspired the people around him to feel compelled to help him out. And so first things first, this clear what? Nehemiah showed up in King Artaxerxes' presence and said, hey, I believe God is calling me to go and build this wall. I'll come back after. I'm not turning to the right or to the left, but I have a very specific idea of what it is I need to do now can I go? And for us, in the same way, we have a clear what. In order to keep chasing the mission God's given us, in order to keep fulfilling the vision that's written on the sign on the wall out there to help people meet Jesus and follow him fully, we need to find a new space for revision. Because we cannot stay here without sacrificing the mission. We're going to run out of chairs. And again, the day that somebody shows up and they can't find a seat is the day everything that makes revision, revision goes by the wayside. I actually talked to somebody after the service last week who said, hey, Mike, you know how you said it kind of haunts you to think about somebody showing up for the very first time, just like desperate to be welcomed in and and loved and, and find community and then not being able to find a chair or like some family coming who needs hope and we just don't have room for them. Dude, I know exactly what that looks like. I first came to Revision. My first Sunday was right before we went to two services and I couldn't find a chair so I had to sit on the steps in the back. And I like, I loved it. I still love Revision and I came back but I was thinking about that and I remembered it and I thought, oh man, that could feel so unwelcoming to somebody to feel like, well, you can't really be a part of this. Just go, go to the back. And you guys, I remember those days when people were standing across the back and, and sitting on the steps in the back. And I also have data because we measure what matters, that says our first-time guest retention rate, like the the number of first-time guests who came back a second time dipped significantly for the first and only time in the last seven years when we didn't have enough chairs for people to sit in. This is real. It just, it, it is what it is. And so for us to move forward, for us to continue being the church God asked us to be, we gotta move in a different direction. And again, it's not because we want a fancy, cooler space. I've never cared where we met. Like, I've never cared about having a really pretty spot to meet in. We picked this gym. <laughs> like, we chose it. I've never cared whether we rented space or owned space. I've never cared where we met at all. We spent a half a year meeting outside in a park. Like, and my dumb, bald head got sunburned every single Sunday in June and July and August. It was a lot of aloe vera that summer. And one Sunday, I wore a gray shirt. It's this exact gray shirt. I wore it today, so you guys can tell. It's not a stain, 
That just happened as I kept going. And it's real nice to see where your gut is at. That's cute that it highlights that stuff. But it just kept, gray was a bad choice in the summer. We like, we met outside and then it got cold in the fall and my dumb bald head got freezing. You people don't know how warm hair is until you don't have it anymore. Like I don't care where we meet. I never have, but I will give my life for the vision. For as long as God will let me keep leading this church, I will spend myself for the mission of helping more people hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, helping more people take steps to follow him fully, helping all of us continue walking closer and closer with Jesus and doing it together in community because we need community. I need this community. I love this community. And I'll give everything to make sure that more people can be a part of it. That's what we're doing. So Nehemiah had this clear what, and then he laid out a careful how. He didn't stroll into Artaxerxes' chambers looking sad one day and then get asked what he wanted to do about it and be like, oh man, let me come up with a plan real quick. Like he walked in knowing exactly what he needed. He showed up with a carefully thought through plan of how he was going to do what God had asked him to do. Artaxerxes is like, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to build the wall and here's what I need from you. I need letters to all the governors of all the territories I'm going to have to cross to get from Susa to Jerusalem. It was over a thousand mile journey, fraught with peril, all sorts of dangers along the way. But a letter from the most powerful human being on planet earth at that time went a long way to making sure nobody messed with Nehemiah along his journey. He said, you know what else I need? I need a letter to the keeper of the king's forest so I can go get some timber. And this is a part that'd be super easy to gloss over, right? Because we're not all experts on, na- or on ancient Near Eastern history. We just kind of read through that. We're like, yeah, yeah, sure. But Nehemiah went to the king knowing the name of the keeper of the king's forest. And that just would not have been common knowledge at all back then. It wasn't something he could Google either. Like in 2500 BC in Iran, you couldn't pull out your smartphone and be like, who is the keeper of the king? Asaph, all right, cool. The fact that he was able to walk into Artaxerxes' chambers and be like, I need a letter to Asaph, the guy who keeps your forest, because I need some timber, means he had done his research ahead of time. He came with a plan. And I, got, I want you guys to know that before I would ever ask you to like take this leap of faith, to step into this Nehemiah moment alongside us. We did our research and we have a careful plan too. This isn't something we're doing just on a whim. Like, ah, we might do it. Ah, if we can raise enough money, we'll start looking into it. We'll think about maybe getting a building someday. Like we have a careful plan. If you didn't grab one of these booklets last week, please, 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 there's a ton of them on the next steps table. Grab one and read through it. There's a bunch of information in there. If you're watching online and you can't grab one of these, go to the Build the Future tab on our website. All that information is there too. There's a whole lot of detail there about specifically what we're doing and how we're doing it. And again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. I want to answer any questions you have and be as transparent as possible. So please feel free to ask questions. But today, in the name of a clear what and a careful how, I want to dive a little bit deeper than the book into a couple questions about what we're doing and what we think that's going to look like. First things first, in order to build this future we believe God wants us to build, our plan is to raise $750,000 over the next 26 months by the end of 2024. That's a big, crazy, God-sized stretch goal for a church with an annual budget of just over half a million dollars, in part because it's an above and beyond goal. We need to raise that in addition to our tithes and our offerings. Those things have to not just stay steady, but increase over the next couple of years because we got a mission to chase right now. 
If we decide that like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get a building, so let's press pause on reaching people for Jesus. Let's just take a quick time out on, on advancing the mission forward. Let's just, you know, let off the gas a, a little bit in all of us growing in our relationships with Jesus. Then like, we have lost the plot, you guys. We gotta keep going pedal to the metal, all gas, no brakes on every single thing God has asked us to do while also above and beyond that, raising the funds to get a space that allows us to continue chasing the mission God's given us. And so we're gonna raise $750,000 over the next two years to build this future. And as I told you guys last week, like I'm all in. Like financially, I'm all in. Our staff is all in. Our board is all in. There are leaders around this church who are all in. And in the immortal words of John Bon Jovi. We are halfway there and we are living on prayer. And I'm going to show 80s rock clips every week. It was Twisted Sister last week, Bon Jovi this week, next week. I don't know. You'll have to show up. I might rickroll you. You just, you'll have to wait and see what happens. But we are over halfway there because we're all in on this thing. And so my invitation is that, you know, next week, Commitment Sunday, you'd all come back with, with a pledge card that says how much you're committed to giving above and beyond your regular giving over the course of the next two years to build this future with us. And build it where? That's a significant question. Like, what's it gonna look like? And the answer is that at this point in time, we're not willing to take anything off the table. Buying land and putting up a new building on it, buying an existing space and renovating it, or something else God might come up with that we've never even thought of yet. We're taking nothing off the table for God, but we do have a plan. We have a team of people who understand corporate real estate ready to get rolling on this project. We have a real estate agent who's searching for us because he kind of knows the parameters that we're looking for. We have an architect who spent his entire lifetime building churches. And so he understands building new church buildings and renovating old spaces to become church buildings. And we have a map we've drawn up of where we're looking. We drew up this map with an A, B, and C zone based on three different things. Number one, where we are right now. Number two, where our regular attenders are coming from. And number three, proximity to 235, 35, and 80. Because if we're close to any of those, pretty much all of us can get to church in 10 or 12 minutes. That's the beauty of living in Des Moines, Iowa, you guys. It's good stuff to be here. But we drew up this map because we're where we are on purpose. We're prioritizing the A zone, and we'll pay more to be in the A zone than the B zone, and more to be in the B zone than the C zone. Like, we are not here on accident. Seven years ago, before we planted, we sat down with all sorts of church planting gurus, people that just do this all the time, and they took a bunch of demographic data. I cannot even tell you how many of them I sat with that looked at me and said, okay, here's what you got to do. The best places to plant a church in, in the Des Moines metro area, you got to go to Waukee, Johnston, Grimes, Ankeny, or downtown. I don't have a meeting with a different guy. He's like, yeah, 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 check the demographics. What you got to do is go to Waukee, Johnston, Grimes, Ankeny, or downtown. That's where the money is. That's where the housing developments are. Planning a church is a really hard thing to do. The data suggests that less than half of them reach their 10th birthday. 80% never hit 200 people. Like, it's an incredibly difficult thing with an incredibly high attrition. I think I'm roughly the same timeline as us. 
One of them's going to Grimes and one of them's going to, to Johnston. And it's crazy. We talk about how hard church planting is. Seven years later, one of those churches is still around. They actually went from Johnston to Urbandale and they're headed to Grimes. The other one isn't here anymore. And that's an all too common reality in the church planting world. But Grant and I looked at each other and we're like, okay, we know people who are going to the places that all the experts say you should go. But what if the whole city needs Jesus? Like if the whole city needs Jesus, who's going to go to the old neighborhoods, to the 70-year-old buildings in a zip code where the median household income is under $70,000? If the whole city needs Jesus, and we know people who are going to the places where the experts say you should go, and we've been in the church planning world long enough to know that more people and more churches are going to plant new churches and new campuses in the places where the experts say you should go. Who is crazy enough to do this hard thing in the places where no one else is going? And we just looked at each other and said, ah, we are. We are crazy enough to do just about anything. We're crazy enough to try hard things in harder places. And so we're here because we intend to be here. But here's part of what's hard about here. We're landlocked. Like right now, spaces that fit us, there are not very many of them for sale in the entire A zone, and there's almost no land whatsoever. And any land you could find within three miles of this building is astronomically priced compared to land in Ankeny or Bondurant or Norwalk or Grimes. It just is. And that's our reality. So we might not be able to find a space in this A zone. And if we can't, we're going to scour the B zone. If we can't find anything in the B zone, we're going to scour the C zone. And if we can't find anything in that map, then we're going to wait and we're going to trust that God can do big things because God does big things. That's who our God is. I have so many friends that have crazy God stories about how he paved the way and made something happen while they were looking for space that they could never have even imagined. I don't know what ours is, but I can't wait to figure it out. And so I, I would love to humbly invite you to join me in praying. Like pray for the next year that God will do something, that he'll pave the way, that he'll make a way where there is no way, that he'll do kind of an only God thing and lead us to the place he has for us next. And I, I trust he's going to do that and it's going to be cool. So that's our that's our what, and that's our how. And I happen to think, just like Nehemiah, we have a compelling why, too. There are over a third of a million people in this city who are not connected to a church at all. Every day, we crash into people who desperately need to breathe the oxygen of God's love. And we have been called out. That's what the word church means in the New Testament. It's this compound Greek word, ekklesia. Ek means out. Kaleo means called. Church means called out ones. We are the ones called out. We have been called out of darkness into light. Called out of death into life. Called out to share this beautiful gospel message that the God of the universe so loved the world that he sent his only son. That Jesus stepped out of eternity into the fabric of the human story and gave his life so we could be forgiven and conquered death so that we could be set free. We have been called out to bring that message to the hopeless and the hurting, to the lost and to the lonely. We have been given a mission and we cannot stay where we are 
even if it's comfortable. We cannot stay right here, even if it's familiar, because staying here would mean giving up the mission we have been called out to. There's the gospel is this beautiful truth that needs to be spread to as many people as we can spread it to. We need to continue helping new people meet Jesus and follow him fully. We need to be a church that welcomes them in. It's that simple. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we do everything we do. Because the day we turn inwards and become a church that's just a great church for us is the day that we lose the soul of Revision Church. And I, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I'm convinced that God wants to move in ways beyond what we could ask or imagine because that's who he is. And so the question isn't whether God wants to reach our friends and neighbors. The question isn't whether God wants to draw the people we crash into all around Des Moines every day into his love. The question isn't whether God wants to write a better story for this city. We know the answer to all of those questions. The only question is whether God will have to find somebody else to do later what he was inviting us to do now. And so I'm, I'm asking you, humbly, vulnerably, Will you pray about being a part of this thing? Next week, will you, will you bring back a commitment card and will you join us in this next season and take this ride with us of building the future God has for, for this church and this city? And honestly, will you, will you come to him this week with open hands as you pray? It's a scary thing. Uh, that's a scarier ask than it sounds like. Will you come to him with open hands and will you pray about giving significantly and sacrificially to this? Because we are not gonna get to the place God has for us by nickel and diming it and giving out of our excess. It's gonna take sacrifice. Will you pray about doing that? Will you turn in the card next week? If you're not here next week or you're watching online, you can email me. But, but will you take this journey with us? Because I think if you will, I think if all of us will, then we will see God build a future that's beyond anything we could have dreamed up on our own. And God will work in our lives to do incredible things, to give us a bigger, better vision of who he is and who he created us to be. He will help us live epic stories. But even more importantly that, just, or more importantly than that, just like Roger Bannister, sacrificed and got called crazy and did things no one thought he ought to be doing but made a difference in the lives of the people around him. Like, if we'll take this leap of faith here and now, people will think we're crazy and it will cost us something and it will require courage and boldness and self-sacrifice, but God will work through us, through our lives and through our church to make a difference for the people of this city that echoes long after we're gone. You guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for inviting us into this moment. Thank you for calling us to be like a Nehemiah generation that makes an impact that echoes beyond us. Thank you for the chance we have to, to be who it is you created us to be. And I, just, I pray for all of us in this season. It's intimidating to look ahead, but it's beautiful to look at who you have been to us for the last seven years. It's beautiful to think about what you are doing, Lord. Could we be a church that just opens our hands to what it is you have for us next? Would you just thunder in our souls this mission that you've given us to share the good news of your gospel message with everybody around us? Could we continue to be a church that welcomes people in? 
that does community well. Lord, we're never gonna be the best. We come before you and confess it. But would you help us be a church that cares the most? I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.